This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. So you're going to brush your teeth twice a day anyway. You might as well use the best toothbrush on the market. And Quip toothbrush is not the best because of how it looks. It looks great, by the way. It's a sexy toothbrush. It's great to travel with. But it's the best toothbrush because it was literally designed by a dentist, dentist and product designers. And they put a built-in timer in, two-minute timer, because that's how long the dentist recommends you're supposed to brush your teeth. And every Quip comes with... New brush heads every three months delivered right to your door. Now they kicked it up a notch. They're even adding in floss with a pre-lined, pre-marked string to help you use just the right amount of floss and toothpaste refills along with the brush head every three months so your routine is always correct. Three million people are using Quip, including me. And starting at $25, you go to getquip.com slash KH right now, and your first refill is free, plus free shipping. Did I mention that? Nope. Getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash KH, and your first refill is free. Uh, I got to watch this uh, this uh, documentary called Horror Noir. A History of Black Horror, which was fantastic. Uh, and one of the producers is in the studio right now. She is, again, my favorite writer, especially in the horror g- genre. Okay, so there's there's uh, Zora Neale Hurston, of course, Toni Morrison. Yep, you're you're in my fave five. What? You're in my top five. Oh, yes, no. you are, Tanana Reeve. <laughs> Tanana Reeve do is in the house. Right. Hey, wow. Mama, how are you? Oh, my God, I'm great. Yes, you know... Um, Every time I see you, it's usually we're like running at a conference or at an airport or someplace. And the last couple of times you've been on, it's been on the phone. phone. So I don't get to see you. And I know like, not that you're shy, but you're a writer and writers aren't like, we're not like these hay people. Hey, what's up? (laughs) True. (laughs) You know, I have to be dragged, kicking and screaming, not in front of this mic because this mic is just me and you talking. Right. Some people might be listening, but I don't know them. Right. I can't see them. I can see you. So I'm glad to see you. Um, Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we get into horror noir, I just want to give some. I, I first discovered you was a book called My Soul to Keep. Um, and then I devoured that and then went to The Living Blood, which is it The Living Blood where you talk about the first time this is a vampire series. It's kind of a I'm putting up air quotes because it's like such a black way of doing vampirism <laughs> that it's, you know, if you like Twilight and all that other stuff. You have to pick up My Soul to Keep in the Living Blood. So powerful, so rich with history. Is this the book, was it My Soul to Keep or the Living Blood, where the, the character talks about hearing Michael Jackson's voice for the first time? Oh, See, you don't remember. I, shoot, you See, know. That goes right, back one of those two. I want to say the, probably The Living Blood. Okay, that book. Whoo, child. And then it made me go look up. I, I ended up uh, reading The Between. I read The Good House, which was about a ghost, a haunted house. Amazing, amazing. Then I went and got Joplin's Ghost. And then I came back and wrote, read, read The Black Rose, which is a novelization of the life of Madam C.J. Walker. Again, f- phenomenal. You're a great writer. Oh, thank so you let so me just much. say that. Thank you. Thank you. But now you're in your teaching and doing these other things. And you've even had... Um, what's his name the guy from get out jordan peele i suck at names uh come to your class and surprise your class what's your connection to horror noir and why 
Well, I, as you know, have been publishing horror since 1995 and started teaching a class at UCLA. After Get Out came out and was such a sensation, I said, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity for me to teach black horror, film and literature, with with Get Out as kind of a linchpin. So when Jordan Peele came to the class as a surprise, it was kind of worked out on Twitter, really, that went viral. So I, I get the producers knew me, you know, they knew my work and they knew me from Twitter. But on that basis, it's like, hey, we're doing this documentary. So is Ashley Blackwell, who has a great website called GraveyardShiftSister.com. And uh, she wrote this. And it's based on an amazing scholarly book. This was a win for the academics. Dr. Robin R. Means Coleman published a book called Horror Noir back in 2011. But again, because Get Out blew up so much and raised so much awareness, now this gets lifted up and they were able to sell it to Shudder which is a, a streaming horror channel and, and really, no lie, one of my favorite channels because I love horror. So it's coming out on Shudder uh, Thursday, February 7th. But I was asked to come in as an executive producer and was just so excited to be a part of it. It took me back because um, I don't love horror. I don't love horror. Uh, actually, I was traumatized when I was eight years old. I tell this story. I was at day camp and because I was big for my age, you know, I was this size at the size I am now at 12. So mm. I wore a size eight when I was eight, shoe size nine when I was nine. So they put me in the teenage group. Oh. I was eight, you know, and sassy. You know, I had a vocabulary, but I shouldn't have been with the 11 to 13-year-old. <laughs> so it was raining one day, and, you know, we couldn't go to the campgrounds, and so they let the kids go to the movies. And the 13, 11 to 13-year-olds picked Abby. Oh, what? Okay. I'm eight. Wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, messed me up. Like, I didn't sleep well for like 10, 10 good years. I was traumatized yeah, completely. For, for folks who don't know, that's about a woman who's possessed by an evil spirit and becomes a, a sex demon sort a of. succubus. Yeah. <laughs> yes. What the hell? That's young. Yeah. That's young. Yeah, I was messed up. Messed me up. But I, all I saw was the, the, the scene where she's in the choir. Yeah. And she gets possessed by the devil, what I think is the devil, and her voice, it, it made it hard for me to go to church. I would be looking in the choir to see, like, who's going to be possessed by the devil today? You know, like, it. I didn't get the whole sex thing, although the scene in the car with the smoke and the, uh, like, I remember it as if it were yesterday because wow. it messed me up. So, wow. horror in me, eh, it's kind of, it's it's interesting, but I, I've, I did end up, like, reading Stephen King. That was my dude. And and before I discovered you, he was my dude. So to stand everything, Christine, every, read everything. Yes. Carrie, every, everything. But you do it differently. So tell me, Tanana Reeve, your foray into writing about horror. Well, I was really blessed, you know, because my, my late mother, uh, the civil rights activist Patricia Stevens do, was a huge horror fan, which you might not think. She was very serious-minded and all about the struggle, but she loved those Saturday afternoon creature features, the mummy, the fly, the mole people, all of that. And I grew up loving it. She bought me my first Stephen King novel, and I feel so which lucky. One? Which one was it? It was The Shining. God. The Shining. You cut your teeth on The Shining. I did. <laughs> That's such a psychologically damaging book. That book is scary. It is scary, but it mentioned my favorite TV show, Emergency. It like felt like it was tailor written for me. I was hooked. I mean, like you, I just devoured all the Stephen King. And the reason I feel so lucky is, I mean, both of my sisters went to law school, right? And I, I took one law class. And if my mother and father had sort of poo-pooed the idea of me being a writer or writing horror, I might not be a writer today. I was that 
invested in being a good daughter and carrying on the family name with respect. And it took me a minute to come to horror. There's still a genre bias in a lot of writing programs against all kinds of genre, you know, horror, science fiction. It's starting to ease up a little bit. But it's all writing. It right? is all writing, and that's what I say. Good writing is good. Good writing, writing is you good. I, I love children's books because the writers seem to care more. Mm. Mm. You know, the young adult writers seem to care more. You know, they seem to be more, you know, fastidious in putting a story together in a, in a certain way. So I, I love young adult books for that reason. But so 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 walk me through. Let, let me thank you too, because you're the reason why um, I started reading uh, Earthseed and. Oh, Octavia Butler. Yeah, it wasn't an, a big... I, I didn't know who she was right. until you started t- talking about her. And I was like, let me see what this is all about. Changed my life. <laughs> like, There's a whole world out there of, as you know, of just amazing black literature. And we write everything because, I mean, who better to write Afrofuturism than black folks who've had to try to imagine a better future since we landed on these shores, right? So those Negro spirituals and this, all that, that was like, ooh, you know, on the other side and, and a utopian vision of a different kind of world. And horror is sort of the flip side of that. Horror enables us to imagine the monster as something different than it really is, mm. right? So, it's, which is why Night of the Living Dead, which is uh, featured in Horror Noir, a history of Black horror, which pre- premieres when Thursday on February seventh on yes. Shutter. Yes, it's, it's an original. It's it's their first original documentary. Whoa! Yes. Okay. Well, you they say in this in this in Horror Noir that Light, Night of the Living Dead was so scary because there was such a parallel to what was actually happening with the civil rights movement, the dogs, the cops, the, you know, and that the, the hero was a black man. Dwayne Jones. Right. And it was the first time. And I, I never watched that film. So now I'm like, okay. Oh, you've never I seen never it? watched Night of the Living Dead. This is like the original, one of the original zombie movies, See, right? I don't know. Before I Night don't. of the Living Dead, zombies were kind of these mindless, shambling slaves. And that was the whole metaphor for zombies. But then George A. Romero came and turned them into flesh-eating cannibals. And I was like, whoa, what is this? So there's a lot of shocking material. Not, maybe not to you now, having seen Abby when you were eight. Maybe it's going to be cut. Yeah, there's not too <laughs> but, much I could be shocked by. Yeah. But this was released in 1968 and it's in black and white which in a lot of ways uh, I think probably gave it this newsreel kind of footage look to it so all the guts and all that that gore horror stuff that was really groundbreaking stuff but to have Dwayne Jones as the lead as the alpha slapping around yeah <laughs> the white characters I'm in charge killing yes. up, right you, you be in charge down there I'm in charge up here um and at the time you know we have this this black power movement growing and and it came out around you know after dr king was assassinated so there was a lot of social upheaval so how he knew or didn't know with in terms of george a romero he created this sort of perfect movie to capture the times that there were shifts in the power structure there was uncertainty and i'm sure a lot of whites who might not even have considered themselves racist might have felt very threatened by what a character like Dwayne Jones represented because they're seeing that in, you know, government, in business, in education, that that blacks were saying, okay, it's our time now. And enough of this. Exactly. 
But then it didn't end well for him. No. And and that's something else. Which was the real horror for any black person watching Night of the Living Dead. Right. It's like one of these, you know, when you watch a horror movie, you know what you're getting into. Everybody might die. That's like (laughs) all you can really hope is that they acquit themselves admirably, that they show courage, you know. But that shot of Dwayne Jones, that literal shot at the end of Night of the Living Dead, is is so horrible because he's gone through so much. He he's survived so much, and then he becomes just another faceless body to be burned on the pile by a mob that you know looked a lot like mobs you were seeing in the headlines in those days. Mm. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the perfect time to order holiday cards for family and friends. And this year, create custom holiday cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique designs to choose from. All you have to do is upload your family photos, or you can even get them from Instagram, personalize the text, and you're done. It's that easy. Simplytoimpress.com. Print your cards professionally on your choice of premium cardstock in just a few days and then rushes them straight to your door. The New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite holiday card service. Simply to Impress even offers foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs just for your business as well. So place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. 866-801-8255. I'm, I'm like fangirling <laughs> talking with Tanana Reef Du. And if you haven't read any of her books, you have missed out on a whole host of things. When we come back, um, I want to ask you about today, modern day horror, uh, Get Out, um, of course. And, and I also want to talk a little bit about Blackula. But, you know, Bird Box, mm. how did you think? What did you think about that? You know, and, and the sacrificial black characters, you know, it's always these tropes. And yes. we've seen them since the beginning. What's the impact of movies on society and how we live out? Like I was talking about Governor Northam, Northam who should resign. But the reason why he thought blackface was OK, or maybe the reason why this racism is so prevalent is because movies uh, images, TV, advertising have told the world that black pe- people are valueless. Yes. We're stupid. We're this, we're that. We're animals. We're half animals. We're uh, evil, lascivious. Yes. This has been the narrative for 400 years. How do we undo that? And I say through art. We fight fire with fire, Amen. right? Amen. And there's a spiritual component, too, that I think maybe we're especially uniquely designed to express. Maybe so. Maybe so. All right. We're going to talk about all that. Tanana Reeve, are you on Instagram? I am. Tanana Reeve 1. Tanana Reeve. Uh, spell that for people. Oh, T <laughs> as in Tom. A, N as in Nancy. A, another N A R I. V as in Victor E 1. You couldn't just get somebody had Tanana Reeve? Yes. But, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes. Someone no had it. What, I think, so the name is from Madagascar. Right? Someone in Madagascar had it. What does it mean? Well, it was the capital city. Oh, yeah. Look at the your cosmopolitan family. All right. 866-801-8255 is the number. We're going to talk horror, but we're really not talking horror. We're talking America. Tanana Reeve. It's a beautiful name. People can't spell it, but it's Nanana. Nanana. You got to just put the <laughs> Nanana Eve in there. Uh, I-V-E. Uh, thank you for being here today. Um, horror Noir. The History of Black Horror debuts February 7th, which is this Thursday on something called Shudder uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern. 
or seven p.m. Whatever it's midnight. All day midnight. Oh, they're gonna do. It's gonna be on forever. It's streaming, so it's there. Okay, so they're they're offering a free seven day trial, so they can just get it in. I watched it. It's an easy thing to watch. It also will take you back. You have everyone from uh, I call him uh, Pastor Greenleaf. Uh, David, what's his Keith name? David. Keith David. Uh, you have Candyman. Tony Todd. Okay. You have, um, oh, who, uh, the woman that played in the, uh, cr- the not the, the craft, Rachel, the craft. True. Rachel, Rachel True. True. You have you, of course, uh, the, the author of this book, um, Robin, Noir. She's, yes, Dr. she's featured. It's amazing. It brought me back. Um, we're talking horror y'all, but we're not really. So Blackula becomes this pivotal piece in horror noir and I vaguely remember Blackula because after Abby, you know, my parents weren't letting me go see stuff. I'm you know? sure they weren't. <laughs> you saw what? <laughs> anyway, um, tell me why why Blackula was so powerful. Well, this is the black exploitation era, you know, which gets sort of mixed marks overall. There were a lot of folks back in the seventies who weren't thrilled with some of the stereotypes that were coming out of the black exploitation era. But Blackula, I think, is special. And the William Crane, the dir- the director of Blackula, was actually who's a black man. He's a black man. He was at the Hollywood premiere. He he directed it as a young man, and and he had to fight some battles, you know, all the way up and down to to make that film. So even though, okay, he's wearing this campy cape. And it's you know it has this camp element of the black exploitation era. I'll have a bloody mary, you know that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you have an empowered black man who can hold court with uh, a European count to try to end the transatlantic slave trade and beating down cops, which you know, um, you know <laughs> that 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 relationship with the, between the black community and the police has been uh, fractured and torn uh, mm-hmm. since jump. So. Yeah. So in this, it's it just to see yourself reflected on the screen is a powerful thing. And that's one of the, the most important things to come out of that era is that at least we were in the story. I didn't know this until I watched Horror Noir, but I grew up, my adolescence was in black exploitation. So I was in love with Bernie Casey. Mm. I was in love with Tamara, Tamara uh, Dobson. Uh, that relationship, they're married, you know, they're, they're, they were always coupled up, mm-hmm. you know, on TV, there was Get Christy Love when I was growing yes, up. Yes. Um, then, of course, Foxy Brown, but I wasn't really into Foxy Brown the way some of my uh, brothers, male friends, male friends were into Foxy <laughs> Brown and Pam Gray. I was like, eh, whatever. But I love the love story between Bernie Casey and then I would, oh, I love me some Jim Kelly who was doing karate and Bruce Lee was coming up in that. So there were these black exploitations and then there were people exploiting. There was Melvin Van Peoples who wrote and directed Classified X, which is the documentary that I made my class watch on Friday, who kind of chronicles this whole era. And he was doing sweet, sweet back, badass, whatever long title. He was one of the first to make money doing movies like this. Cotton Comes to Harlem, Godfrey Cambridge. We had so many rich stories being told. But then there were people exploiting Mm -hmm. the era of black exploitation. Right. Doing cheesy ass, horrible ass film, yes, and flooding the market with it because there was money to be made. Absolutely, and what's what's funny is uh, director Bill Gunn, who was a playwright and 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 a serious filmmaker, was basically charged with making what the studio thought would be a Blackula ripoff. That was all they wanted, you know, a quick and a Dracula ripoff. Blackula, no, Blackula had come out, so they wanted <sighs> another Blackula, right? 
And so he did his own thing. He hired uh, Dwayne Jones in the, from Night of the Living Dead as his lead. And he turned it all up and down and around and did it his way. A very thoughtful, artistic piece about addiction and blood and mm. class and relationships and love and and salvation in the church. Talk about the church and Abbey. So much black horror has religious and Christian iconography. It's it's really fascinating because that's been such an important part of our Black American experience, you know, through the struggle and the movement and, and before. So so he made it his own way and he wasn't going to be used and exploited uh, in that way. But but the studio wasn't very happy with Ganja and Hess, which was the film right. that he made. Yeah, Ganja mm, and Hess. Which is probably nobody's heard of. But it's on Shutter now. Look so at that. No. Can... So this is important. Like when we when we talk about us and we talk about horror and, and and another thing that was addressed that those of us who happen to you know be black we live through horror every day yes a lot of us you know even when we talk about you know Tamir Rice or you know mm. Eric Garner you know we could be here all day Sandra Bland there's horror every day just getting up and being black. No, there are some days, you know, if I might see Tamir Rice's face come across my Twitter feed and I have tears come to my eyes. You know, sometimes you just have to shut it off. There's just so much pain as a mother of a teenage son, especially. And I've only come to understand later in life that my mother's fascination with horror was not the same as mine as a kid. Mine, it was just, wee, what a fun roller coaster ride. Because loss wasn't real death wasn't real you know i would i was really insulated from a lot of the trauma that she had suffered in the movement even though she was part of the movement i mean i heard the stories i mean i knew she wore dark glasses because um a police officer had hit her in the face with a tear gas canister when she was just 20 years old a student at florida a&m university when she and my aunt um priscilla stevens krause organized a sit-in movement and they got arrested and they were marching and all these family students joined the march and the town freaked out and set the police on them and the police officer said i want you and threw the tear gas in her face and that's the legacy my mom was arrested many many times my father is still living he he's a civil rights attorney so he was more behind the scenes but it's only as i got older that i realized or i i never got to ask her this but i truly believe that she was using horror as a way to ease that racial trauma because it's a safe way to experience fear, to bring it up to the surface and then expel it, right? Because even if the character doesn't survive, as sometimes they don't, it's, it was just a movie. It's over. So I get to go through that whole gamut of anxiousness and emotions and, you know, tension and get a release. Mm. And as I've dealt with my own traumas, most notably the loss of my mother in 2012, I understand better now how powerful horror can be. Well, the new Halloween reboot, they were talking about that with Jamie Lee Curtis. A lot of women, too, were looking like this is a way, horror is a way for us to confront trauma and in a, in a safe way way and and that's not all that horror is but it very much is that to me and I think that's why when you look at black horror we do have uh, a very unique approach and message even if we're not talking about race now get out is directly about race racism is the monster right but yes in the opening scene there it is <laughs> If you've been walking alone in a neighborhood where you were a stranger and you're the only black person in sight, that's scary. You know that feeling, right? Um, but we've been erased so often from so many stories or trivialized or, um, you know, made juvenile in, in so much historical horror that just to be uh, a character with agency and intelligence mm. 
is revolutionary even now. Right. I was saying that was two years ago, right? Right. And it was groundbreaking. Yes. We had never seen a movie so thoughtful. And directly about about race. The thing itself. And had humor as well. Because we got we gotta laugh. Yes. We got that's part of our you know, because that's part of our coping mechanism yes. for those people. We're not insensitive, just the opposite. Sometimes we, you have to laugh to keep laugh. from screaming. Yes, to keep from screaming. Um, so Get Out was important because you were championing it before Jordan Peele even knew who you are. <laughs> you was, were out there. Honey, look, I was teaching Afrofuturism at UCLA. and get Afro, out, wait, hold on. Afrofuturism. Now that's more, that? that is more black science fiction and fantasy and horror. And and horror is a subset of fantasy, right? So, so wait, so pause for people who are sending their children to school at UCLA. They can take a class. What are they learning in an Afrofuturism class taught by Tanana Reeve Do? Actually, now that you mention it, I'm teaching a spring quarter and registration is open for students. So it's, uh, it's uh, Janelle Monet, Dirty Computer, her music. Right. It's music that is genre bending and revolutionary. So Miles Davis, Sun Ra, you know, um, uh, Alice Coltrane is the music of Afrofuturism. The literature of Afrofuturism is Octavia Butler and uh, Nnedi Okorafor. Right. And Nalo Hopkinson um, and 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 uh, and the films. So so I would teach like the brother from another planet, the John Sayles movie and Get Out came right at the end of the quarter. And I was like, oh, no, 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 we can't just give this a footnote. This is this is an opportunity for me to unpack. First of all, I love horror. So just the thought of being able to teach a black horror class was exciting enough for me. But so much can I never expected that Jordan Peele would come to the class. He came twice, actually. He came to he my sat in the back first and was just chilling. Yeah, Nobody he, knew he, he had was on there. A, a hoodie and yeah. a baseball cap. And we planned it out. So it's kind of yeah. like a skit, right? right? We planned it out. And, and uh, so I was showing the scene in Get Out where, hey, spoiler, y'all, you should have seen it by now, where Rose, the white girlfriend, is dangling the car keys and she's not going to give them to Chris. And you realize he has no allies. He's alone. He thought he had an ally, but he doesn't. And the, the class is talking back to the screen, you know, all that stuff. So, you got a lot of black people in your so, class? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I turn up the lights and I said, okay, so what do you think the director was trying to say about the coveting of black bodies? And Jordan Peele raised his hand in the back. He's like, oh, I have a question. And when he stood up, the class just went crazy. They just went crazy. But I like to say it wasn't just because, oh, that's Jordan Peele. He's famous. I know him from Ken Peele. We had just spent weeks unpacking sort of the lineage of Get Out, like starting with uh, Birth of a Nation and the way the black-white relationship dynamic had been depicted, you know, black men as rapists and white women in distress. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois and his short story, The Comet, were the only two survivors of a post-apocalyptic event or a black man and a white woman. And we went through this whole thing leading up to Get Out. Hold on, I gotta write that down. (laughs) You just gave me another one. And and when they saw how he put together all these messages about the slavery imagery and the microaggressions and liberal bigotry and the complicity of white women, and it goes on and on and on, you know, um, and the covening of black bodies and, and the sunken place as a metaphor for mass incarceration, mm. as he told my class. They mm. were just like, yeah. So so that, that right. We're, we're, so for those people who are anti-diversity, um, and I hate that word because it's just people. Right? I use inclusivity now. Yeah, because here's the deal, America. You're great because of all of the different things that were brought here. You didn't plan for it. But this country's great because of all of the people that have come and added their little spice to the mix. Absolutely. And when we don't see them, I teach as well. I ask my kids, how many 
times have you had a black professor? Mm. Now, why is that important? So, right, and you go, but just being black is not enough because if I'm white identified as a black person and I hate myself as a black person, which a lot of black people do, I'm going to show up probably worse for that class. Yes, that there's something shameful about our art and something shameful about our culture rather than something to be celebrated and emulated, frankly. So your being in that classroom means what to that class that they wouldn't get without you being there? Look, just... There are so many students who are not accustomed to looking at their art and entertainment critically, not accustomed to looking. They don't recognize tropes. They don't understand what a sacrificial... Explain what a trope is. Well, a a trope is uh, imagery or themes that appear again and again and again, right? So they they would look at... um, You brought up Bird Box, you know, and I love horror and I love Netflix. I'm not trying to like mess up anybody's game but there were a lot of people very upset <laughs> that there was a black man so i'll just i'll just focus on laurel's character who, who was sexy i couldn't stop looking at his body but, but is that wrong probably no, sorry no, go ahead you know and he was he was in get out right and so we're all coming with all that love for him and hated to see him sacrifice himself to save the white characters in such a casual way, you know? Right. Just was... not even consider my life. His right. life. He didn't even want to go. I'm sorry, I was getting him confused with um, t- uh, no, oh, the, oh, the, the sexy one who kept taking I'm his sorry, shirt you're on. talking about the other Yeah, I was talking about, I was, I'm, see, I'm fixated I'm starting with the first one. Right, first, you're talking about Lil Rel, yeah. who d- didn't want to go to the supermarket. He did not want to go to the supermarket. He's not. like us. He's like, you know what, y'all can do that. I'm just going to chill right back here. But he did go. And then I, I guess felt a responsibility because one of his coworkers was wilding out and he threw himself to basically to death to save and and it's not you know it's an easy fix it's an easy fix to stay away from the tropes sure characters are going to die in horror but we have to just look out for those blind spots because it's kind of a comfort food uh for some filmmakers that the minor characters who often are going to be us right are going to nobly stand up and sacrifice, sacrifice themselves. ourselves for them. And no, you know, no shade to any filmmakers. I, I, I want to see more from all those producers, but it's just going forward. And I think that's why Horror Noir is important as a documentary, because not everyone has an education in film that spans back to the black exploitation era and before and knows about the these tropes, right? So if you're new in the game and you get a script, you think you're being cute and original, but it's not cute and original. It's been done a million times and it's tired. And damaging. And it's damaging. It's damaging. So, and, and it's something, I call it a blind spot. I, I For the most part, I don't think there's malevolence intended, but it's it's a blind spot that becomes a cumulative messaging to black people that we don't matter, our lives don't matter, and the best we're good for is to sacrifice our bodies, like literally, and get out. You're supposed to sacrifice your body so that white people may flourish. And in other films, it's it's not taking your body, but it's taking your life to sacrifice you so that the white characters may flourish. And it's like, no, this nation is not about just helping white people flourish. We all need to flourish, right? And we can do that together. I just want that to sit for a second. Um, And I don't know why this is such a tough discussion to have. Like, why do we have to tell people this? Well, part of the reason is just by the way, let's look at Hollywood in particular, because there is a, there's a body of literature um, by black writers, right, um, for black horror. Uh, 
L.A. Banks, LA the late Banks, great L.A. Rest Banks. Soul. God bless her. I know she was such a wonderful person and a wonderful writer, trailblazing with her Vampire Huntress series. Yes. Today we have Victor Laval, you know, who's doing his thing, um, and they're just Cheshire Burke is out there uh, writing horror. So there are a lot of. Uh, uh, Sycorax's Daughters is an anthology that has a lot of women horror writers in it. So we've been telling our stories in literature for a long time. But when it comes to Hollywood, there's this great disconnect because the work is not getting adapted. Look at Octavia Butler and how long it has taken. She's considered one of the greats in science fiction, period. After reading her, I see a lot of people borrowed. Oh, sure. Yeah. There wouldn't be a Walking Dead without Octavia Butler. Oh, uh oh, okay. Yeah, no. Straight up. So so somebody's been reading her. So she's 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 still unadapted. So many other black horror writers are unadapted. So what happens is in Hollywood, the people who get the films done are the people who have the agents and the managers and they see the scripts and you know, a, a white writer can include black characters and then the black actors get the role, but they don't have a say. And I've had conversations with actors who were frustrated about the way, say, in television their character was treated. And they just don't have the say and they don't have the sway. And we really need to bridge that gap between black creators and their stories and Hollywood creators who don't know enough black creators who don't know where to find the they books. They say that all the time. And but they're you not, and I know a bunch. Right. But you're not invited to the meeting and there's right. always a reason. Well, you don't have enough experience, which is the catch. Well, how do you get the experience if you don't have the experience? Someone has right. to help you get the experience. Right. So there's a larger question uh, to creators. Don't you want to get it right? Don't you, wouldn't you prefer to put something out that's truthful? Right. Than just to keep perpetuating the same lie. I would think they would. And I think a lot of people do, you know, but but it again, uh, whether it's the rush of the development process, it's like this was the the script everybody could agree on. So let's roll with it. And we don't have time for that next rewrite or whatever it is. Sometimes it just gets and often I should say it just gets overlooked. Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror premieres Thursday, February 7th on Shudder. It's the first Shutter original documentary and it features black horror it's an amazing um, exploration not just in the horror but into American history which I think was so powerful about how you brought it back and forth and it was just it was well done well, well done well thank you through horror I want to shout out our, our up and coming 28 year old director Xavier Bergen oh you know young okay. brother making his way and getting that that great feature um, credit under his belt and um, Phil Nobile of Fangoria magazine who was one of the executive producers and Daniel Burroughs. I know why people get up at the Oscars and list all these names because it's important. Yeah. Because it's, they matter. Yeah, right? they do matter. This this is not a project about one person, but really it all goes back. And as an author I'm biased, but it all goes back to the book Horror Noir by Dr. Robin Armines Coleman. That we would not even be having this conversation if she had not done the hard work and the scholarship. So I have to shout out Dr. Coleman. Your favorite horror book of all time. Oh, oh my gosh. I, I might have to do this. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm asking for a friend. Oh gosh, my favorite horror book. You know what? Okay, there. Horror is uh, an emotion as much as a genre. So, a horror book might not technically be considered a horror book by some people. I don't know. Can I have at least a two-way tie? All right, two. Okay, right. thank goodness. Woo. Um, <laughs> the author herself has said she doesn't consider it horror, but Toni Morrison's Beloved. Okay, because mm. Ghost. Okay. It's yeah. got a ghost. Yeah. And what's more frightening than the impact and legacy of slavery? Come on. Come on. Now that... I had to read that book three times, I have to I have to admit, before I got it. I, I missed a lot of what she was saying 
the third time it clicked and it was like angels came down from heaven and it was like this is it it's like to me it's like the closest representation of what it would have felt like on a visceral level no it's to have been enslaved you know and it's a hard hard pill to swallow um it's also, you know, one of our greatest literary achievements. And then just in terms of straight up horror, horror, I'm going to go back to childhood. It would be among my Stephen King collection, I guess, because it scared the crap out of me when I read it as a kid it would be Pet Cemetery. Ooh, Pet Cemetery, that dead cat lurching. Oh, come on. Yeah. And and there's something about reading. Can I just before you go, um, people who don't read, you know, because we're in such a digital era. I have my Audible account. I like to listen to books. But for me, listening to nonfiction is good. Listening to fiction, not so much. Because there's Mm. something about awakening your imagination and reading and inserting your experiences. Because reading is personal in a way that listening is not. It's more spiritual, I think. Well, I'm not in my head, but I'm an audiobook fanatic. So, 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 so you have no problem you. listening to audio. It's just oh, me? I love okay. it. It's like bedtime stories for me. Really? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. I think I need to read. Maybe. <laughs> well, then again, you're a novelist by and large, and I'm I'm not. So for me, the escape is a lot different when I'm reading. Maybe so. Mm. Maybe this is so. weird. This is interesting talking to a writer. Okay, of your books, of your books. Ooh. Yeah, which is your baby? My baby, baby, mm-hmm. your baby, baby that you like. This is this was my jam. I'm so proud of this to this day. It's one of my favorites. And let me just say what you did with Black Rose. If anybody doesn't know anything about Madam C.J. Walker, I just have one question about Annie Malone. Annie Malone oh, yeah. predated she Madam C.J. Walker in many ways was the blueprint. She I would say Madam C.J. Walker clearly emulated. Annie come Malone. on. So how come Annie Malone didn't get because writing about somebody is important, like Christopher Columbus versus all the Africans that sailed the ocean blue. You know, as they say, history belongs to those who write. Washington it. Irving made him a superstar. You right. Know, Madam C.J. Walker, her husband, C.J. Walker was uh, an ad man. You know, that was they knew a how to marketer. tell their story. They knew how to tell their story. So and, and not to take anything away from her. But there are so many people whose stories never do get told right. because they're they're so busy in the business of doing what they're doing that they don't they don't document, 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 which is what my mother always said. And I have to say, I mean, I've published a lot of fiction and every book I've published has a soft place in my heart. So I'm going to have another two-way tie in terms of nonfiction and fiction. The nonfiction okay. one would be the book I co-wrote with my late mother, Freedom in the Family, oh. a mother-daughter memoir of the fight for civil rights, especially having lost I her. I see that. It's like, whoo, thank goodness we did that. And so many people don't. And let me tell everybody listening out there, if you have elders and you've always wanted to sit down with a tape recorder or a video camera and you haven't done it, you need to do it. Time is real. Death is real. Being in denial doesn't help anything, right? So do get, it. Get, get it that, done. Get that information. And yeah. aside from that, I'm going to d- default to the reader favorite, which is my second novel, My Soul to Keep, Keep where book. I started my African Immortals series. That book... I was like, I was telling everybody about you. I couldn't pronounce your name. <laughs> Listen, I was sitting that you out. You got to read this everybody. by what's her face. This woman, last name Do, D-U-E, got to read this book. <laughs> Amazing. It's about um, a woman who discovers it, that her husband is a 500-year-old immortal. And, and I really got to tell a lot of history through his yes. point of view, which was part of the point of the story, because he could be a witness to slavery. He could be a witness that we were something before slavery, you know, that, that we were here and we were accomplishing and we are here. Tanana Reeve, 
do horror noir a history of black horror this thursday y'all let's go to shutter sign up get the free thing subscription so we can watch it watch it watch it watch it hashtag horror noir n-o-i-r-e for those who can't spell it there we go tanana reef thank you for finally being here in person oh, thank you, you so much this was fun amazing